From GreenBiz Group, welcome to Center Stage, the best of live interviews from GreenBiz events. I'm Joel McCower. Along comes this technology, this deus ex machina that's coming in and that's offering us this whole new approach to what's going on in this sector. And I want to just say not technology, but GPS and internet, wireless smartphones, e-payment, open data, electronic batteries, and it's this that's causing this explosion of innovation. That was Robin Chase, transportation entrepreneur and co-founder and former CEO of transportation companies Zipcar and Venium. She came to Verge 18 to talk about how transportation is changing and how we can finally get it right. Let's listen in. So if you think about the transportation sector, I feel like we're at this moment of the tectonic plates are in motion and the entire sector is being disrupted. And we have this once in a lifetime, in a century, opportunity to really reinvent what's happening in cities. And my goal right now is to convince you of this and that we have to really, I think of this jujitsu move, let's take that momentum and go where we want to go, which is towards sustainable, livable cities. And I want to give that a little context. So infrastructure is destiny. I believe this so profoundly and I will hopefully persuade you now. We get what we build. So when we built Levittown in the late 40s, we had to build the highway system to connect those houses, those two pieces of infrastructure positively and surely gave us this kind of congestion and this kind of obesity rates. The one and the other, profoundly, that was our destiny. Once we went to all cars, everywhere, all the time, this is what we got. Um, conversely, there's been 40 years of cycle-friendly infrastructure in the Netherlands, totally different kind of destiny. So the number of kilometers cycled per person you can see is like 16 times what it is in the US, and the obesity rates are dramatically less than we find here. So I've been thinking about this idea of infrastructure as destiny, and I think our human nature, who we are as humans, is kind of like our personal infrastructure. And if any of you read Daniel Kahneman's Thinking Fast and Slow, he put it really well that we do things the fast, easy, cheap, convenient way every time. That's just who we are. That's, that's, that's built into us. So I want you to keep that in mind. Over the last 100 years, we have specifically and proactively been making personal cars the easy and cheap thing. By which I mean, if you think, and I think of this as our tax and regulatory infrastructure. We have underpriced air pollution, we've underpriced congestion, we've underpriced curb access and parking, and in the US in particular, we've underpriced the basic user fees to pay for this infrastructure at all. So we've created this real misalignment of market signals. We've made this incredibly easy and convenient private car ownership system, and the, the market signals, so we overconsume it each and every time. Our most important type of infrastructure that is destiny is our planetary infrastructure, right? So that if ever there was an infrastructure that is destiny, that's the place in which we're living right now. And we are building, as you all are aware, of a, a destiny that does not look good. We really have to speed the pace of change. So I'm looking at this with excitement around the transportation sector. 
Um, along comes this technology, this deus ex machina that's coming in and that's offering us this whole new approach to what's going on in this sector. And I want to just say not technology, but GPS and internet, wireless smartphones, e-payment, open data, electronic batteries, and it's this that's causing this explosion of innovation. So yes, 18 years ago, I did car sharing, but there's ride sharing and the transit apps, on-demand consumption, connected and electric vehicles, it's exciting. And technology has made sharing easy. Wow, people want to do the easy and convenient thing. How fantastic. And it's because of technology, you can make a reservation for a specific car in 15 seconds to get into that car. It's because of GPS and maps and mapping systems, open data, that I can use transit apps and I can get on a subway or a bus in London where I've never been a day in my life, where I've never lived, and able to get on and get off at the right places. And the whole rides of e-hailing, which is basically taxis, but much more interesting, the idea of we can do urban ride sharing, that is profoundly the result of technology that we can actually pull out of hundreds of thousands of riders, origin, destination, timing matches, and get them together in a car. So these are fantastic things. But technology has this downside around here, around this. So what if e-hailing and ride-sharing did not exist has been a survey question. And um, Regina Klula, who is here, I think, um, this is her work. Um, she found that 24% of the people said they would have walked or cycled. I'm really struck by that. That's how easy and convenient we like things. That if we can go door-to-door, -door, I'm not even going to walk there. I'm going to go with it in a car. And 15% would have taken transit. And yes, that concerns us, but I really, when I look at these surveys, and New York City's done this, and actually San Francisco's done this, I want to say, have we asked of any urban car driver, what would you have done if you didn't have access to a private car? I don't think we have, because if we did, I'm sure we would get the exact same answers. Yeah, I would have walked or cycled, or I could have taken transit. But we really had this idea of reliance on technology. And then of this thing of this on-demand consumption and delivery. That technology has made it really easy and convenient to get all these deliveries. I was in a panel yesterday where someone said they only shop online, which was giving me a heart attack. I want you guys to think about what kind of cities you want to live in. But it's had huge consequences for what city retail looked like and how we use streets and curbs. I was at my daughter's apartment in Brooklyn, and she had five deliveries in one day came to her house. So it's really transforming what is happening in our cities. Into this mix, I want to just remind you, we choose easy and cheap things. We've made personal cars really cheap. We're going to throw in self-driving cars into the existing tax and regulatory infrastructure. And now we're going to make it so cheap that it's not even taking your, your body isn't even included in your financial analysis. The marginal cost of driving an electric autonomous vehicle is a penny and a half a mile. And if you think about cities, you can get maybe 40, if you're really lucky, probably 30 miles in an hour in a city. So what would you not do with a car for 40 cents an hour? This, I have to say, is my huge nightmare, that if we just let the status quo go with our status quo tax and regulatory codes, our status quo human nature instincts, the status quo parking and everything we build to make cars the simplest thing in the world, now we're sticking autonomous vehicles into that environment. Um, I don't have time today. I want you guys to write down, because I only have my few minutes. I want you to write down and search YouTube self-driving cars. There's a little four-minute video that talks about this heaven and hell trajectory we have in front of us. So if we put autonomous vehicles into this environment and we own them, we're going to have a huge increase in congestion. And I think 50% of the cars on the road will have no one in them. Today, 
75% of the cars have one person. That's already a problem. But we have this opportunity, as I said, to redo cities. So if we understand that people naturally choose what is easy and cheap, and if infrastructure is destiny, and that autonomous vehicles are imminent, we've had a lot of discussions around this in the last few days, I want to say level four and in cities, so geofenced in cities and probably a little spur out to an airport, I think we'll be seeing that in the next two to three years in some cities. Should have happened this year in San Francisco. <laughs> um, so this is imminent. So we necessarily, positively, over the next five years, have to rework and specifically and proactively not wait for status quo, work hard to make active, as in walking and biking and electric scooters, and shared transport the easy and cheap thing in cities. We have to do this. When these tectonic plates cool, they must cool on the side of shared and active mobility. So our future, when you step out your front door, you will have a choice of easy, interconnected, multi-mobility. How will I go? And I want you to think about shared transport as this long, long continuum from the metro up to I'm taking a taxi by myself in a car. It's all shared transport, and it has a very different impact on how we make choices. Um, a year and a half ago, I convened these 10 largest city and transport NGOs, and I said, let's think about what are values that we share, what are common principles that we have, and we created these shared mobility principles for livable cities. It was a seven-month, every two-week, three-hour tortured conversation to really synthesize exactly what it was. And then I managed to get um, a whole bunch of passenger service providers to sign on. Today, a year and a half later, we've got a 165 companies, NGOs, and some governments that have all agreed this is where we're going, a shared, resilient, livable cities. And these are the high-level principles of how we get there. And I would urge all of you guys to go look at that and think about your company if you're working in the urban or transport areas to sign on. So what are these principles? This is the list. I'm not going to go through all of them, but to highlight a few. Um, clearly, you guys have been talking about this a lot over the last few days. We need to transition towards zero emission vehicles, and those, the power source should be renewable. And so I'm not going to spend a lot of time on that, because you guys hopefully have been spending the last three days thinking about that. Um, and then I'm going to talk about these other ones. So let's do some examples. When we think about connected vehicles or autonomous vehicles and this novelty, it's the same thing we've been experiencing for the last 100 years. These are all metal boxes on scarce streets. So we have two tools in cities, um, space allocation and user fees. And shared mobility principle number three is efficient use of space, curbs, and vehicles as a goal. And shared mobility principle number seven is fair user fees across all modes. So let me just talk about space allocation here. I don't know if you guys aren't in the transportation realm, but these are quite famous these pictures, here are 200 people in 177 cars. Oh my God, it's congested. Let's build another highway on top. We've already taken out the parking, not enough space. Here's what that really looks like statistically. 75% of people alone in their cars, and you know, the other 25% have a couple other people. So just a little before and after, you see this every day. I was watching at the high Oakland um, highway overpass there, uh, road, and this is what it looks like. Here's what it really is. We have plenty of space. <laughs> um, here's another example. So here is a way that it's been addressed. So this is San Francisco Market Street. It used to be, as you guys remember, personal cars, all lanes, six lanes, three each direction, personal cars. 
They reallocated it, so they're getting 60 people per lane block in the public transit lane, they're getting 40 people per lane block in the bike lane, and they're getting 12 people per lane block through in the personal car lane. So when we have all the lanes going to personal cars, you are not pushing through very many people. We want to make efficient use of assets. In scarce, when we have scarcity, this is what it should be looking like. So the other things, I'm leaving this, user fees. <laughs> I'm going to talk about user fees. We absolutely have to do it. So today, I'm really struck by the fact that cities around the world, all of them seem to express ambivalence. Robin, ride your bike. Zero, you know, very small footprint, zero emissions, or take your 30-year-old minivan that you never maintain. We don't care. Of course, cities care, but they are not sending any of those signals. And similarly, go by yourself in your own car like everyone does, or 30 of you can go in this bus together, but we're not going to give you any space. This is not fair user fees across all modes. We're not doing fair lane allocation. We're not doing fair user fees across all modes. If we want these new methods to survive, we have to create a level playing field. We have to start charging the same amounts for how square meters of movement, of parking, and of curb access. Everyone exactly the same. In San Francisco, this is another lovely example, and this is true, it's $110 fine for illegally parking your car. And this is, as a cyclist, I have to say, I see this so many times. I see this all the time. Right now, it's a $500 fine for an illegally parked scooter. That is not fair user fees across all modes. How will we ever get to a place where people are actually willing to get out of their big giant car and into this electric scooter with this tiny footprint when we don't give them any street space that is safe and we don't give them spaces to park, which we have done for personal cars everywhere. Everyone has this complete blindness. What's happening with personal cars we don't even think about, but everything else is brand new. Oh my God, let's throw up our hands. So we really shift fair user fees across all modes. So to remind you, this is where we're going, an active and shared transport, making it easy, fair for equity issues and cheap. We can start today. And I just want to um, throw out two more things. If we did all these other things right, if we said we're going to start taxing uh, based on your, what's coming out of your tailpipe, if we started reallocating road space based on social environmental goals, if we started charging people user fees to actually pay for what they're actually using instead of letting personal cars get away with underpricing for everything, when autonomous vehicles come in, I have to say, I'm all good. They will come in, I would, instead of, it won't be just 40 cents an hour for me to send that vehicle because during congested times, I'm going to pay a heck of a lot more to do that. It's not going to be when I park it, I will pay a lot. When I use curb access, I will pay a lot. I won't, we won't be having business models that are wrong business models based on poor pricing decisions with a lot of intangibles that are not, a lot of negative externalities that aren't included. So my work today, and I think the work that I want all of you as you go forward, is when you hear about congestion pricing, raised parking fees, elimination of parking, making space for micro vehicles on the streets, you should be pro. You should be pro all of those things that level this playing field and start reallocating space and make personal cars pay their fair share. So here's a beautiful example I just want to show you guys. This is um, in Seoul, Korea. It's the Kaohsiung highway. In the 60s and 70s and 80s, they paved over what was a river underneath there, and they built these 12 lanes of traffic because, oh my God, we don't have enough space for cars, right? And so the whole thing was paved over, and the mayor of that city thought to himself, 
I'd like to be president of Korea one day. I'm going to do a really amazing project that's going to take a lot of pushing and shoving, and I'm going to push it through. And he uncovered, he ripped all that off, he put public transit down the two sides, uncovered the river underneath, and I visited, and it is a spectacular place. So I just want to remind us, infrastructure is destiny, and we have to, have to, have to get this transition right. Thank you. You've been listening to Robin Chase talk about transportation and mobility at the Verge 18 conference in Oakland in October 2018. For more Center Stage podcasts, go to greenbiz.com slash center stage. And while you're there, tune into GreenBiz 350, our weekly podcast covering the news and the people behind the news in sustainable business and clean technology. For all of us here at GreenBiz Group, I'm Joel McCower. Thanks for listening.